Hello and welcome to Altamar. I'm Peter Schechter. And I'm Moni Jensen, and we're here to navigate the rough seas of global politics with you as we do twice a month. Here at Altamar, we've been watching elections around the world and noticing a surge of right-wing candidates and parties in more industrialized democracies, but also in the rest of the world. And as France prepares for its presidential elections, it's important to unpack and try to understand the rise of the right there and elsewhere. And today we'll discuss the French candidates and where they stand, but also the growth of right-wing politicians and parties around the world. Muni, there's no doubt that there's this weird global right-wing surge that's in the making. And we're going to talk about this with our good friend, senior Le Monde columnist Alain Frachon in a few minutes. But let's first just take a look at what's happening with this phenomenon, especially in its extremes in Europe and beyond. The concept of far-right ideology is a broad umbrella, and it's fueled by this resistance to immigration and globalization and criticism of what some people have defined as, quote, the left's abdication of daring, unquote. And it's generated this nostalgia for the glory days of the past. And in Europe, much of its fuel is nationalism, a deep, deep-seated nationalism and, and xenophobia in the U.S., a lot of the far right's view is propelled by this underlying racism. So today we were not going to get deeply into the causes and the history, but what we're going to try to do is let's analyze what the far right means for politics, how it's changing politics, how it's derailing politics, and what's that all mean for the course of democracy. And Peter, let's talk for a bit about France, which is a very good example of this phenomenon. And while it's definitely not the only country to experience a movement to the right, it has produced two of its most well-known poster children. And the first from a few years back, and we've talked about her before, was Marine Le Pen, political heir and reigniter of the National Front Party, who has wrapped herself in the French flag and a controversial anti-immigrant discourse and has managed to gain ground recently in recent regional elections and has given traditional parties a run for their money. She's pretty powerful. Facing elections this year, French voters show some waning support for Le Pen, but why? She's been crowded by the even farther right, represented by Eric Zemmour. He's an outspoken writer wing, even Islamophobe and anti-feminist. He's propped up by CNews, which is France's answer to Fox News. And he attracts crowds with his laments about national decadence, his words against intellectual freedom, and his dire warnings of the traditional Christian majority being replaced by Muslim migrants. Anger and paranoia have proven, like in so many places, to be useful political tools in France today, which complicate the re-election of the centrist president Emmanuel Macron, or any other moderate for that matter. But France is a good example, and it's definitely not alone. Yeah, I mean, it's true that sort of the far right has really taken a sort of groundhold in the West. I don't want to exaggerate it because they've not taken power, but they've taken a groundhold. And when I talk about the West, we should probably make an exception for Latin America, where it seems quite the opposite that the left is taking hold. But if you look at Europe, like extreme right parties like Vox in Spain, La Lega in Italy, Poland's Law and Justice Party, and of course, Orban's Fidesz are now important critical political actors and establishment parties in the US and the UK, of course, have veered to the right in a pretty frightening way. And as this 
extremist wing of the right gains ground around the globe, we can see, I think, only two distinct phenomena. One is like the deliberate creation of a global far right where party leaders, think tanks, influential voices are like joining forces to support candidates with illiberal ideologies. We've seen that in Steve Bannon's stints in Italy and Hungary, in the strange popularity of Viktor Orban and Vladimir Putin among right-wing leaders. The other trend is the decline of liberal economics and globalization as the right wraps itself in protectionism, inward-looking industrial policy. It was a really insightful story in the Washington Post recently that stated that for much of the right, and I'm going to quote the story, the story of the past few decades is that the social permissiveness of the left fused with the free market creed of the right to create a soulless ethic known as neoliberalism. And that's why so many conservatives are drawn to Catholic social teaching as opposed to the Protestant work ethic individualism, unquote. So I think, you know, the extremes seem to be resembling each other, don't they, Taya? Hi, I'm Taya Ivanovich, and this is Taya's Take, where we take a look at youth and social justice issues. Exactly, Peter, the extreme political left and right, there's so many debates about where the youth is headed. And one underlying trend is this rejection of capitalism, and it's more than any other generation before them. A very troubling 2016 Harvard University survey found that 51% of American youth aged 18 to 29 no longer support capitalism. 12 years ago, a Gallup poll showed that only 38% of young people had a negative view of capitalism. And that was right after the worst financial and economic crisis since the Great Depression, which hit young people especially hard. So what happened in less than a decade? Similar studies in other countries have found that those between 18 and 34 perceive strong conflicts between the rich and the poor, deep inequalities and injustices. And in the last few years around the world, we've seen so many protests for Black Lives Matter, police violence, and so many other important social justice issues. So what is it that young people want? It's not socialism, or at least it seems that the word socialism scares young people, but the same Harvard poll showed just 33% said that they favor socialism. So it seems that young people want the equality of socialism, but they still want a strong capitalist bend. From other surveys, I've seen that they want to build an employee-owned economy, profit sharing for employees, and they don't actually mind the government intervention to make that happen. So that's a little strange, right? And only a few decades after Reaganomics and more recently this individualistic perception of capitalism and the American dream, it seems that the youth of today resents the inequality that such a system has created. Well, that's a loaded bit of information. I would love you to join the conversation by tweeting at Altamar Podcast and let us know what you think. Thanks, Thea. And I would also add that the consequences of this right-leaning pendulum are concerning. Migration is going nowhere and fear-based politics is gaining ground and is very effective as a political tool. If a far-right global movement continues to take hold, and it's a terrifying thought, including young generations who are disenchanted with liberal democracy, we may be facing a momentous political shift to a very dark place. 
Yeah, I mean, populism from the right, tribalism and political parties integrating their extremist views are a very concerning thing. So let, let's call in our guest, my friend Alain Frachon, to talk about France, Europe, and the global resurgence of the extreme right. Alain Frachon is a columnist for Le Monde, France's world-respected newspaper of record. He acted as the interim editor-in-chief of Le Monde from 2012 to 2013, was foreign editor, is now one of Le Monde's principal columnists. He was a foreign correspondent for Le Monde in Jerusalem and Washington, where I first met Alain Frachon. Alain is also the author of several books, including, and I'm going to translate into English, Messianic America, The War of the Neocons, and China and America, The Duel of the Century. Alain Frachon, welcome to Altamar. Welcome, Peter. Nice to meet you again. Mooney and I have spent the last few minutes just discussing the new rise of the right. And we'll talk about it from a global perspective in a second. But I wanted to start with France. Elections for president are coming in April. And you, you have the benefit of having two extreme right candidates in Marine <laughs> Le Pen and Eric Zemmour, a newcomer who's been making a lot of headlines recently with his incendiary rhetoric. So maybe... Having two candidates is good for Macron and or good for centrist candidates. But what's the problem here? Marine Le Pen wasn't extreme enough for the French. Why, why do we have this surge of the right? Well, there are many reasons for the surge of the right. You know, there are many reasons. Marine Le, Marine Le Pen is the traditional populist demagogue. She is strong in constituencies which were rock-solid places for the Communist Party and the Socialist Party. Eric Zemmour is a, a cultural warrior. You know, he is a typical uh, cultural warrior. He wants to roll back to the 60s. He is, you know, in political science, he would be defined as a classical reactionary. He wants to put the clock back to the 50s, you know. He's demonizing immigrants like Marine Le Pen. On, on that regard, you know, they're on the same, on the same wave. He's a Eurosceptic. She's a Europhobe. He wants to stay in the EU. She's very much against the EU. He's a free marketeer. She's not a free marketeer. So there are differences. But why is he rising now? Because because I think there is a deep identity crisis in France, different kind of fears which are feeding this identity crisis of France. And there was a market, uh, there was a place to go on the extreme right, and he's filling it. He's filling it on some, sometimes on the same topics as Marine Le Pen, but then on different topics. Marine Le Pen is not launching any kind of cultural war. She's a classical demagogue like Donald Trump, for instance, but not on the economic policy. But she's a classical demagogue, you know, simple solutions, talk anti-elitism, talking, you know, being the only one to talk for the people, using this term, you know, the people, which doesn't mean anything, actually, but using and abusing it. So this is the landscape on the right. Then you have a third candidate, which is the, the center-right, uh, 
the party of Jacques Chirac, of Nicolas Sarkozy, which used to be the Gaullist party, actually. And she is uh, Valérie Pécresse. Valérie Pécresse, in the United States, in the Republican Party, you would say she is a, a country club Republican, you know. Right. She's a very classical, classical right, a country club Republican. So your question was, is uh, Zemmour uh, a danger or a challenge for Marine Le Pen? Well, I would say he's both uh, a challenge, but not only a challenge, you know. She can benefit from, from the candidacy of Zemmour because as Zemmour is uh, much more on the right, you know, in, a, in an extremist way than she is, Zemmour sort of normalizes or banalizes, uh, banalizing the candidacy of Marine Le Pen on the political spectrum in the French landscape. You have to realize too that this election, presidential elections in April, it is two rounds election. That means only the first and the second people at the end of the first round are going to be qualified for the runoff. And if you ask me, how does it look nowadays, today, as we are talking? Well, it's very simple. You have a battle in the runoff on the second round, according to the polls, very probably between Emmanuel Macron, the outgoing president. Macron is between center-right and center-left. That's his uh, political positioning. And... Uh, I would say either Marine Le Pen or Valérie Pécresse. That's how it looks. None of the candidates, we can go to the left afterwards if you want, but none of the candidates running for the left are going to qualify for the second round according to all the polls. So let me just ask a quick follow-up. I know Mooney wants to ask about the rest of Europe, but this cultural warfare... I think it's very important to what happened here in the United States also with Trump. And the new right has this cultural ideology. I mean, how do you see the French moving to this sense of conclusion of nationalism, anti-elitism, anti-trade, anti-free market? I mean, it's a very interesting transition to... Of, and you said that Marine Le Pen does well in the communist areas before. So take a look behind the curtain of why this is happening in France. Well, yeah, that's, that's a very complicated question. Actually, these are many, many questions, you know. Uh, basically, you have in France, and I guess I would, I would say in Europe, I would say in Europe, with no exception, maybe Germany, but from Scandinavia to Spain to Italy, you would find the same trend. In the case of France, it's very clear that in these last 10 years or 20 years, maybe, you have definitively a slide to the right among the electorate. It's an electorate which is getting older and older. We are an old country, you know, a country getting older and older. But you have definitely a slide to the right. And this slide to the right has two topics to exploit. Immigration and law and order sometimes combine. You can say, we've been through terrorism. 
You can say our neighbors in the Middle East are at war. You can say we are frightened with the evolution of the demographics in Africa. You can say we're going through difficult time of permanent technological disruptions. You can mix all that and you have this result. A rise of the right based on or exploiting, if you want, or based on the reality of immigration, which is uh, more important than ever, and law and order. I'm not answering all the aspects of your questions. Obviously, you know, it would take, you know, a couple of days of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I tried to give you, you know, a few trends which can explain what we're going through, at least in Europe. But it's, it sounds to me extremely similar to what you're going through in the United States. So we have been discussing the rise of the right, not only in France, obviously, but in the global nature of this phenomenon and, and the causes in which you've focused on Islamophobia and xenophobia. These parties, Vox, La Lega, the extremist parts of the Republican Party, have a lot of support. Do you feel that this support is going to wane in, this, in a sort of a pendulum, or do you feel that this is something that's going to become larger in an outsized political movement? No, I think it is going to be a trend which is going to be with us for quite a long time. Because, uh, and we can talk of the right and the left, you know, but basically take for a fact that immigration poses problems. Take for a fact that uh, saying to people who are voting for the incredible Eric Zemmour or Marine Le Pen, you know, consider that they're not racist. Some of them are. There, there is racism there behind this xenophobia, behind this fear of immigration. There are specificity in France, which you don't have in Germany, you don't have in, in other countries because of our immigrants and because of our colonial past, you know. So there are specificities in France. But put this thing aside and say that, accept that immigration poses problems. Integration is difficult. That's Eric Zemmour. He says integration does not work. The, all these people born in France, and, and they are French now, but you know, first of all, they are Muslims. And we don't know where, where is really their fidelity, you know. They cannot become French. Okay. I consider they can become French. They are French. They are more success in integration than what is said in the press. But if you, you know, if you accept that immigration poses problem, immigration is important, more important than it has never been. Immigration is a need. We need immigration. France needs immigration. The UK, which has, you know, a very hawkish laws now regarding immigration, but they need immigration. Germany needs immigration. And Eastern Europe, for the, for the time being, is totally close to any kind of immigration. But they are getting older and older, you know, and so they need immigration as well. But yes, it poses problems. Integration is difficult. So 
It's a new policy problem, policy in the noble term of the terms. We have to find a kind of, uh, not, uh, how do you say, état providence, uh, the um, welfare state. We have to find a kind of welfare state where we spend money, public money, on immigration. And you have to find a majority of people who are going to agree on that. It will take time. To answer your question, it's a permanent trend, it's a permanent feature of our political lives, our political life, and it will take time. There are a lot of rumblings that all of these movements, all of these parties are trying to create a coalition of the right-wing parties across Europe and also beyond Europe. And a few years back, we saw that Steve Bannon, Donald Trump's henchman, had made some inroads with the European parties where he envisioned this great group of, of right-wing parties. And others are now creating a very prominent think tank in Germany to create an academic home for all of this, I guess, thought, uh, political thought. How developed is this idea? How successful and how scary can it be? I think it's a failure. I remember very well last year and the year before even, when Steve Bannon was trying to create sort of a federation of nationalist political parties, of nationalist movements, you know, in Europe. And then he was trying to create a, a think tank, a university in Italy for all the nationalist uh, movement as well. So as a formation center, as a think tank, you know, it was a massive failure. I think Steve Bannon has proved himself to be not compatible with Europe. But we have imported something else from the United States. We, we have not imported Steve Bannon, but we have imported Fox News. We have the equivalent of Fox News now in France. And this is important, you know, it has changing the political landscape as well. So Steve Bannon is back in the US, which I understand he has some problems, but we have Fox News. It's, it's called C News in France. It has been created by one of the more talented French uh, businessmen, one of the richest French businessmen, Vincent Bolloré. Uh, you can say that we deserved it. You can say because traditional media, they have... Uh, a liberal spin, which is true. So maybe we deserve to have our, our Fox News, but I think it makes the, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not easy. It doesn't make things easier, but now we have it as well. But no, Steve Bannon. And take into consideration as well the fact that at the European Parliament in Brussels or in Strasbourg, at the European Parliament, the extra, the ultra right, the extreme right parties of uh, among the 27 members of the EU, and in each of the 27 members of the EU, you have the extreme right, they have been unable to get on together among themselves to form a single political group. So I do not fear any kind of federation of these movements in Europe. I, I don't think it's a, it's a threat. Alain, one thing that jumps out at me from this fascinating conversation is that we're missing the economic component, at least in the United States, the economic component of millions of people where inequality has risen, people have lost their jobs to globalization, entire demographic areas of the United States, what's called the, the Rust Belt or the South, are depressed. How much does the economic 
disillusionment and the anger against elites for having created this neoconservative model that seems to have won in the last 10 years. I mean, there seems to be also an economic component to the anger of the right. I guess that's my question. There is one, yes. And there is one. And this is why Marine Le Pen is successful. She is a protectionist. She is a, a statist. She is in favor of a of a bigger intervention of the state in the economy. She's in favor of some kind of miracle nanny state, you know. She's in favor of massive public spending. Uh, the debt is uh, something which is irrelevant for her. Uh, she's very skeptic regarding free market economy. She's against free trade as far as she can go, you know. Uh, so, well, yes, we've been through the 2008 financial and economic crisis. We are in competition. We are with the, uh, the liberal democracies, if you want, uh, the, uh, the, like in Europe and in the US. We are in competition with state capitalism, uh, like China. This is a new phenomenon. You can feel that people say, well, it's unfair. So we have to be protected ourselves. So the economic landscape has changed exactly in the terms that you have described it, you know, in Europe, in France, as it has in the United States. And one of the problems we have in France, and probably for the time being, I'm not saying it's permanent, is that the left has not been able to understand that, that the left is not fighting on the ground, it should be fighting. Bread and butter, uh, <laughs> purchasing power, fair competition, uh, recreation of strong unions. The left is elsewhere. The left has been fighting important battles, but for the minorities. And the left is, uh, has been irrelevant in many of these regards, you know. Uh, the left doesn't want to see that immigration is difficult. The left doesn't want to ask itself, you know, about where is your constituency. They have abandoned part of their constituencies. I want to follow up on exactly that, but taking more of a look at, at the youth, right? Across the world, poll after poll is showing that youth is rejecting capitalism. They're very anti-capitalist. They want more equality, though they don't want socialism. So how do you see this, I guess, both in France and, and also around the world? I would be more optimistic than you. I'm not sure I would formulate my, my question as you have. You're right. Young people in France, I do not know exactly how it is for other countries in Europe, but young people in France tend to vote for the right. And uh, Marine Le Pen is very strong among young people, which is something, you know, for people of uh, Peter's generation and mine is very bizarre, you know. We we're not expecting such a thing. But look, uh, there is a rise in this, and this is a massive phenomenon. There is a rise, as you were saying, in inequality inside nations, not among nations. The gap between North and South has been reduced. But inside nations, in the US, in France, much less than in the US, but still, inequality is rising. So, okay, we are in need for more equality. This is what the young people are saying. 
you know, they are they may be voting for the right, you know, but what are they saying? They say we we want a more fair tax system at the European level, at the international level. We want a protection for private data. We want uh, to protect the environment. That does not make them commercial or economic protectionists, you know. It's just that there are all kinds of new needs which are to be filled. And I think they are right to point at them. Yes, we need a tax system which is fairer, you know, and an international tax system which is fairer. Yes, we need to protect private data. Yes, we need to protect the environment as a priority. You can call that protectionist, you know, uh, but it's a need for protection. But it's a need for protection because uh, we are living uh, through new times. You know, the times, they are changing, as Bob Dylan used to sing. What I would detect in your question is something which I, I would disagree and I, which I would call the trap of catastrophism. It's not as catastrophic as many young people think. It's not as catastrophic as I'm telling my, do- my 19-year-old daughter. And the danger of catastrophism is that, okay, if there is going to be anyway such a catastrophe, you know, uh, if we cannot stop the rise of inequality, uh, if the rich are going are always going to be richer and richer and the poor, poorer and poorer, then there is no need to find solution. So this is the danger of being too pessimistic. This is what I call the, the trap of catastrophism. I don't know. If it is very clear. I'm not sure I'm very clear, but that's what I want to say. And they may be voting for the right, the young people. You're right. Yeah. yeah at least it's the case in France. But the reasons for which they vote and the kind of changes they want, I would agree with. Alain Frachon, this has been an amazing conversation and I think a really enlightening conversation. But we're out of time. So we have to say goodbye. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, goodbye, Frachon. Peter. Goodbye, ladies. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank, thank you very much. So Peter and Thea, two things really jump out at me. One is a, a phrase that he basically buried Macron. He said the outgoing president. So I, I just wonder what's going to happen to the EU if Macron is gone and if this kind of outsized figure disappears from politics. But the other one, and I think most important, was his reflection on young voters. And I, that makes me think a lot about the future of politics, not just in Europe, but in, in the US and Latin America. And what really is concerning the young that used to be so aligned with the left and they're now going in all kinds of different directions. So I'd like to hear what you guys think and if that was something that concerned you or jumped out at you as well. Uh, you're abdicating your role as a commentator and being an interviewer, Mooney. I can't help it. I try. I try not to, but here we are. I mean, I think for me, I completely agree. I, I think for me, two things sort of stood out on that specific thing about young voters and and one is, you know, the left sort of fighting the wrong fights. And, you know, even though young people are rejecting capitalism, they're concerned about the right issues. And I think the second thing that he was warning us and me specifically about is this um, catastrophism, this fear of, of, you know, everything is terrible and it's, it's really not as bad as it is. 
I don't know. I'm not sure. I think for young people, you know, we, we look at the world and we see climate change. We see all these terrible issues that are happening with the economy and, and COVID. And I think it's hard to be optimistic, but I, I see his points and I thought he was absolutely great. Look, I, I have not heard in a long time somebody speak as clearly about what I think is the fundamental problem in politics today, which is that the left has adopted very important battles to fight, but they're not winning battles. And they are the battles of minorities and the battles of important wrongs that need to be righted, but they don't win you the majorities and the presidencies and the prime ministerships and the majorities of parliament. And this is a problem that we need to find a solution to. And the last thing I want to say, completely different, is that when we were just off the air, Alain suggested that we have a show on the implications of the Djokovic-Australia debacle and what that means for the world and how nationalist borders clean. And I think so. Muni, I think I'm going to leave you to have the last word because you're a tennis player too. What do you think of that show? I think it would be great. There are so many ramifications that it was a huge distraction from COVID. So definitely the right choice. On, and we should probably invite him again. But meanwhile, you can listen to Altamar wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time.